Hello and welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Anthony North and finally once again reunited with Russ Hodges. Russ, how are you doing tonight? It's it's good to be back with you here on the podcast. It's been a few weeks. How's it yeah, been? Yeah, we've been playing some uh, some podcast tag these last few weeks. I feel like you've been kind of avoiding me, man. What's uh, What's going on there? Hey, you know, I get sick, you oh, get yeah. sick, I'm out of town, you know, that's that's how it goes. But uh happy to be back with you here. Yeah, man. It's uh been a been a interesting last few weeks and my sinuses last week were shutting me down real bad. Anybody who's got seasonal allergies out there, you know what I'm talking about. I think the worst thing about having those bad sinuses and those seasonal allergies is you know you're gonna be sick for the next four or five days. Doesn't matter how much nasal spray you use. Doesn't matter how many pills you take. <laughs> there ain't s h i t gonna knock you, you down. Can do about it. But feeling better, feeling great. Uh, work's kind of slowing down here, so I'm gonna have a lot more free time on my hands, which is nice. Can start diving into a lot more TCU stuff, and uh, it's been fun. You know, baseball starting up, and tennis is uh, kicking ass, taking names, and we got a lot of really exciting stuff to talk about. So looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, man, for sure. Appreciate you um, doing those those solo pods while I was out, and and the one last week was was really great. So if if anyone listening here hasn't heard that one, go back and and give it a listen. It's a great one. But yeah, lots to talk about. Um, and yeah, glad things are are slowing up for you. It's not slowing up for me, but I, I'm still trying to keep up with all of it. But uh, yeah, basketball season, baseball season, um, overlapping here. It's one of the most exciting parts of the calendar for TCU sports. So. Um, we'll just jump right into the basketball. Um, the two big games this week, it was a big time roller coaster of emotions for, for TCU basketball. We'll start with the, the big high of Saturday with Mike Miles triumphant return in Shawmeyer against Oklahoma state. The Horn Frogs take down the Cowboys 100 to 75 miles. Looked really good in in his return. Um, you know, we there was kind of some talk about him coming back the the game prior, and he he shot that down, saying you know he he would come back when he was ready, and he certainly looked ready against Oklahoma State. Fifteen points, um, and and played thirty five minutes, so looked looked really good doing it, and it was great to see him back on the court. Yeah, Mike himself joked after the game that uh, he wasn't expecting to play thirty five minutes, but I think him going out there and being efficient from the field, looking like himself. He he took some nice shots, and I know there was a, a little bit of a minor scare in the second half. I think he took a jumper and came up a little lame on one of his heels and, and was out for like a couple minutes, came right back into the game. and uh, looked He looked good. He looked like Mike Miles, and um, you could tell that his presence is – it's just something that lifts every other player up in that locker room. He's a – uh, a big cog of that machine that is the TCU offense. And when that cog was missing, it was a dysfunctional machine. I mean, particularly in the half court, as we've seen over these last few weeks. But to have Mike Miles back, uh, his ability to make tough shots, break defenders down in one-on-one scenarios, and you know, be kind of a, a get-out-of-jail-free card when the half court offense isn't there is, is going to be huge for TCU down the run. Uh, here as the regular season comes to a close. So it was really nice to see him back out there. Uh, fans were were anxious, trying not to panic. I know we talked on the 
on the pod or you and uh, you and Drew did a couple weeks ago about panic or patience with, with TCU basketball. And um, it was a, I think a matter of patience for, for him coming back and just trying to tread water and, and not fall too far down the conference standings. And hopefully now that he's back, uh, TCU can try to make a run here to do something in the big 12 tournament. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge win. The frogs were one and four in the five games that miles missed. So, um, it, it was a, it was a tough streak there of, of losing games and, uh, needed to get back on the, on the right side of things to, to level things off. Obviously every game in the big 12 is, is going to be a tough one is going to be a quality opponent that, that can take you down any night. So to be able to get that win and kind of get that monkey off of everyone's back to say, okay, we're, we're still in good, good position here. We're, we're not too worried about, um, you know, a, a complete collapse down the stretch. So that was good. And, and really, like you said about lifting, uh, you know, that lifting all the boats here, this was the best shooting performance TCU had of the season um, by far a, a significantly improved effort from the frogs, 68% from the field, 53% on three pointers. Um, just a, a really impressive work from, from everyone uh, up and down the lineup, six frogs in double digits, um, double, double from my, uh, uh, from Damian ball. So really impressive effort on the offensive end against a Oklahoma state team that had been one of the top teams in the country at defensive efficiency. Um, it, it really put on display and, and you were starting to hear of, you know, when, when TCU is healthy, they can beat anybody in the country. When TCU is healthy, this is a, a potential a final four team, a potential sweet 16 team. So uh, that was going into the preseason. That was a lot of the talk about how all of this experience on the team and, and really TCU hadn't been able to put that on display yet. So it was great to see that on Saturday. In the first half, you look at Caleb Boone uh, getting into foul trouble. That was something that uh, really hindered Oklahoma state in this game, not having, arguably their best player on the floor for practically uh, the entire first half. He spent a lot of time on the bench and the Cowboys just weren't able to get anything going offensively. And for, for TCU, I thought the frogs played with great pace throughout the entire game. And you had uh, high percentage shots coming from a lot of different players. Emmanuel Miller had one of his better games of the season with 18 points, five rebounds and five assists. Uh, Damian ball with the 16 and 11 double double. He's had multiple uh, point and assist double doubles in Big 12 play over the last few weeks. So uh, I think the best offensive performance of the year for TCU, for, for sure. I know they had 103 points in a game against Central Arkansas earlier this year, but that's Central Arkansas. Um, this is Oklahoma State, and, and this is a team that TCU had lost to. Remember, a few weeks ago, TCU went on the road and in what was a, a winnable game in weren't able to come away with it. So I, this was a really important game, I think, for that reason, to not give up a, a sweep in conference play and try to fight for improving that conference seed, you know, going into the into the tournament in a couple weeks. So uh, really pleased with, with the offense. I thought the Frogs played with great pace. They were able to get out and uh, score on, on the fast break a little bit, get out in transition, and – you know, there were a couple of minor, minor flaws. You know, the turnovers were a little troublesome. They had 16 turnovers in this game. And 
the free throw shooting, which uh, that horse is dead, and we continue to kick it on this Frogs of War podcast. The free throw shooting is, you know, something that TCU is is going to have to fix quickly um, going into the Big 12 tournament and, and going into the NCAA tournament because um, we've talked in the past about when this team is healthy and playing well, you know, what is the ceiling? Some people have said it could be a final four run. It could be uh, kind of cruising into the sweet 16, but not when they're shooting free throws like this, um, including the Kansas game, which we'll talk about in a little bit. TCU in its last five games has shot in the sixties or worse from the free throw line. And I think if you were to average all five of those games out, it's probably going to come somewhere in the fifties, the mid to low fifties. So um, you get a test back in school and it's a 55, that's an F. So TCU is um, barely failing or just failing from the free throw line over these last few weeks. So that's got to get better. But um, looking at this game as a whole, I think you have to be very happy with it. And the most important thing, of course, is Mike Miles coming back not having any setbacks and, and playing efficiently and just playing within the flow of the game. I was on mute for a bit there, wasn't I? I was, right. about, I was typing that in the layout. I was like, I hope he's going to see it. I'm not trying to interrupt my man with his <laughs> Mitch feel, but we're back. I, we're back. <laughs> I, I had a whole rant. It was it was genius. All right. Uh, but mostly, yeah, you, you said it all there. I think that the most concerning thing about this team going forward is um, it's free throw shooting and, and and probably the three-point shooting as well. Um, you know, this game really showed off all the best of TCU and, um, it really swung the other direction on Monday night, Uh, a big Monday. Um, it it was a lot of electricity in the building, the, the whiteout, um, all the NBA scouts in the arena, Max Duggan came over from the Davey O'Brien award dressed to the nines in his tuxedo, um, that the men's tennis team was there at, after they had just won the national championship earlier that afternoon and they were honored on the court. Um, and it was, it was a, a thrilling night in Schallmeyer that was kind of a bad basketball game that didn't really live up to the moment. Um, and certainly TCU was unable to, to come away with the win and, and, um, that the defending national champions will not be swept by the Horn Frogs this year, and and it was a, a big opportunity missed for the Frogs to to get another uh, signature pelt up on the wall on that resume. I mean, it you know Kansas is now up to number three in the AP poll. Um, obviously, one of the best teams they in the the top sixteen that came out. Um, 
from the NCAA uh, selection committee. They were a number one seed. So it's, it's the kind of win on your home court that, uh, you know, TC was actually favored in, in uh, the betting markets going into this game. It's one that TC very easily could have come away with, um, but ended up with perhaps it's what it was one of the worst shooting nights of the season coming off the best shooting night of the season. And you followed up with the worst. And it's really unfortunate because on the other end of the court held Jalen Wilson to just seven points for Kansas. Kansas shot just 39% um, as a team and didn't make a basket for the final nearly five minutes of game time. And, and it's just a, uh, to have a, a defensive performance like that against a, a team that strong, you, you can't keep giving them time to survive. You can't give them chances to to get back up. And and TCU kept doing that by uh, missing free throws and and missing opportunities. Another another eight free throws missed um, in a game that you have the ball down three and, and are unable to get a shot off. So uh, we can. Where do you want to go with this one, Russ? Because there, I, I think there's there's quite a bit to talk about, and it's it's just a tough one to come away with. A you know, when time. I wrote my game recap for this matchup, my subheader was an opportunity wasted because if you would have told me before the game that Kansas would shoot 39% from the field, 18% from three-point range, uh, TCU had 12 offensive rebounds in this game, compared to only nine for Kansas and the frogs only had seven turnovers. So if you were to tell me all those things on top of Jalen Wilson, only going three for 11 after he had 30 in the last game, uh, Grady Dick only had five points in the second half TCU playing at home. I would think TCU probably wins that game. I don't know, seven or eight times out of 10. And unfortunately this was just one of those scenarios where you know, you, you got to find a way to get that to get that win. Um, it felt like Kansas was just, you know, float. It was, they were floating the bait out there, and, and TCU just didn't want to take the bait. Um, and it's it's a frustrating loss, I think, for for TCU coming off of a, a dominant performance against the Cowboys, where you feel like if TCU can find a way to get this win, and to say that TCU swept. Kansas, a top five team in the country. You talk about a resume builder going into the NCAA tournament and a chance to, again, move up in the Big 12 conference standings. Uh, it was just kind of a deflating loss, I, I think. And you look at some of the individual shooting numbers for, for TCU shooting 30% from the field. I, that's that's hard to do. Terrible. I think it's – you shoot 40% from the field, that's – you know – Whatever you, you could shoot the ball better, you could also shoot it worse. But thirty percent overall on, I believe, uh, close to seventy shots in the game, that just ain't gonna cut it. And the free throws, missing eight free throws in a game that you lose by five points, this is becoming a problem for TCU because you go back to the Baylor game, losing seventy-two to sixty-eight. You miss six free throws in that game. You make three or four of those, it could be a completely different ball game. Kansas, you lose by five points and you miss eight free throws. You make four or five of them, it could be a completely different ball game. Iowa State, as bad as TCU played on the offensive end 
against Iowa State the second time around. 70 to 59, you lose by 11 points in a game where you missed 12 free throws and went 33% from the line, six for 18. You have to be able to close games out at the free throw line in in college. It's much like high school where you get to the last couple of minutes and it's a tight game. Teams are going to put you to the line and you got to be able to make free throws. And I'm looking at some of the individual numbers for TCU. Real quick, just a shout out to Jacoby Coles. I know that Steven Johnson of the Star-Telegram did a, a nice little profile piece on him and his increased role this year. And he's just been so steady for TCU off the bench. And he's basically double figures off the bench every game now for TCU. And he's a big reason why TCU's bench has frequently outscored the opposing team's bench. But I bring up Jacoby Coles because he's the only player on TCU right now with a free throw percentage greater than 80%. And he's a 6'7 wing player. He's not a guard. He's a wing player coming off the bench, and he's your best free throw shooter. That's pretty rare in, in some instances where if you're a team trying to close a game out at a free throw line, I feel like the common sense would dictate you're going to try to get the ball to one of your lead guards and they're going to close it out. Yeah. Foul that. Yeah, they want man, they, You right? want the, they, yeah. the big guys getting to the line because usually they can't knock those shots down as frequently, but he's shooting 81%. And you look at miles, I think is at 71 or 72. Uh, Miller is in the high sixties. Ball I think is low seventies, possibly high sixties. Wells is in the sixties. It's just not, that's not good enough. It's not good enough, and it's not going to be good enough when the postseason comes around. And so I don't know if this is a confidence issue. I don't know if it's a coaching issue. But TCU's got to start making free throws because you look at the numbers again in this game. TCU had 21 free throw attempts, and Kansas only had 12. And I think three or four of those free throws were at the very end of the game. So Mm -hmm. the Frogs are doing – things right they're being aggressive they're getting to the basket they're drawing fouls and drawing contact they're just not finishing the free throws so I think that adds to the frustration too is that there were so many missed opportunities for TCU in this game and I think the inability to make those free throws kind of encapsulated it encapsulates that in some ways because you're doing a, B, and C, right, but you're failing miserably at D. And because you aren't doing that right, the whole the whole alphabet falls apart. So frustrating. Yeah, it, and it, it creates these empty possessions where, yes, maybe you're you're getting, you know, Wilson and, and Grady Dick each had two fouls in the first half, relatively early into the first half, and and that was good, but TCU was never really able to take advantage of that um, f- via the the free throws or in any other way. Um, but but the empty possessions of so frequently there's the missed front end of a of a one and one. The Baylor game, man, that the the missed free throws were just so devastating in that one. But in in this game, I think Eddie Lampkin missed a front end of a one and one. Um, I think Xavier Cork had an 0 for 2. Um, we've had some with, with uh, several times it's an 0 for 2 visit to the free throw line. And it's 
it's just as good as a turnover. It's just as good as an air ball. Um, you know, I, I think it's when it's supposed to be the free throw, it's supposed to be uh, given that, that you're giving those points away to the opponent. So um, it's, it's really tough there. I think the other thing is despite all of that, despite how terrible TCU played offensively, um, TCU had a chance Ooh. in the end. TCU trailing by three in the final seconds. Jalen Wilson misses the front end of a one and one. TCU gets the rebound, has the ball with 20 seconds left, and has a timeout in hand. D- Jamie Dixon chooses not to use that timeout, which I think at first is probably okay, is understandable. Let's see if we can go down and get a quick bucket. Let's see if we can get an open look quick. But it was, I don't know, it was clear at about second 12 or so that the the Kansas defense had the Frogs locked up on that final play. I mean, just a, a full shutdown of whatever it was that, that TC was going to try to do. So I, you know, I, I'm not, I guess I am second guessing Dixon a little bit here. I mean, it, it's, I kind of wish he had called a timeout set something Ooh. up to get a shooter a shot um, because what the shot that ended up coming was Damian ball kind of just dribbling um, with, with defenders on him. He gets a shot up and it's, it's not, it's not close to, to um, being a successful uh, three pointer there to tie the game. And, and it ends up Kansas gets the rebound and, and the frogs have to foul to, turn it to a five point, um, final margin, but I don't know. What's, what's your thought there? Is it, am I being too no, harsh or, or should something better, something better should have come out of that final yeah, play, I right? You have a huge opportunity. You're the losing team and your coach goes into the locker room with a, a timeout in his pocket and it's that tight of a margin. I think that's a bad look. Um, particularly in a game where Damian Baugh finished four of 16, he he did not have his best game offensively. And Emmanuel Miller was two for nine. Miles was four for 14. Wells was 0 for four. Nobody in particular outs, outside. Everyone was terrible. Everyone guy, was bad. Jacoby yeah. Coles, who was five for eight. You maybe go. you try to run a play to get, to get him a shot. Maybe he can knock something down from three. Uh, Chuck O'Bannon, who's coming off the bench now with PV in the starting lineup. I know he had 12 points in the game against Oklahoma State. He hit a big jump shot in a game against Baylor earlier this year. He hit some big shots against Mississippi State, even though TCU lost that game. Maybe you draw a play up for him. I don't know. Uh, draw something up for Mike Miles to hit a three. But uh, Damian Baugh trying to go to the basket uh, with a full head of steam and, and getting a, a Wilson sandwich on, on two separate occasions was not a uh, not an ideal way to finish the game. And yeah, people were talking about that immediately after the game online. Is you have a timeout, why not use it? Um, maybe Dixon just felt like it was such a bad night offensively that drawing a play up may not do much much good. I don't really know, but yeah, I, I think in general in that situation, if you're the coach of a team in, in TCU situation, I think you got to use that timeout. And, and try and draw something up, especially like you said, when TCU brings the ball up the floor and the initial look is just not there for anybody. So 
you have the ball in the half court setting. Just just burn the timeout. Maybe call call something up where you can get a couple uh, guys curling and get maybe a shot at the corner or a quick two and try to foul on the inbounds pass or just get reset the situation. You know, reset the situation and see if you can make something happen. So, um, yeah, ho- hopefully that's something that we don't see again down the stretch here is uh, taking timeouts into the locker room. Yeah, another kind of concerning trend that I, I'm seeing here is the final five-minute offense for TCU. And and maybe I need to go back. I don't have, like, the stats in front of me from from each of these games. But the, it, it feels like in the final five minutes, TCU just kind of shuts down. Um, that That Kansas State game where – Kansas State ends up winning by like 21 points. It's like a six-point game with with about five minutes to go. The Iowa State game, uh, the Baylor game, all of these are right there for the taking. And then I don't know if it's the offense goes into a turtle shell um, or if everybody kind of gets – it's a little bit tight, a little bit sweaty palmed, um, or or maybe it's the free throw shooting situation where you're not able to to stop the runs or or kind of break out of that scoring slump um, because you're you're missing free throws. But I mean, I guess both teams in this one were terrible down the final four minutes. Um, but I feel like I keep seeing that as a trend for the Horn Frogs these these past several games of struggles where it, it seems like all right we've got a game this is going to be exciting down to the final minutes and then i don't know they just they just drop off a- you know, am i am i seeing that they've right they've blown some second half leads this year and i feel like TCU is a team on the offensive end at least that is really only comfortable playing at one speed and that's playing fast. When TCU is able to inbound the ball quickly and push the ball quickly up the floor, score in transition, score on the fast break. We, we've heard it several times this year. TCU is one of the best fast break teams in the country, and, and they are. But we're also at game 28 or 29 in the season where there's so much film out there and so much of a resume put together where teams teams understand now that if you – slow the game down, and run long offensive sets. Uh, If you run a good zone defense, you're probably going to have success. If you slow the game down, TCU has to operate more out of the half court. And I feel like TCU just doesn't have very much of an identity offensively. Um, If you want to say that the, the fast break offense is their identity, I guess you can. But I think when you compare... TCU's half-court offense to other teams that they've played this year, like a Mississippi State, where they establish their low post. They play out of their post players who are really good passers because they're not a good jump-shooting team. You have a team like Baylor that lives and dies with the three-point shot. They're going to continue to to shoot the ball from distance because they have really good shooting guards. Some teams are really good at run and pick and roll. Some teams um, 
shoot three pointers really well, play out of the low post. TCU, I feel like, just doesn't have something that it does particularly well in the half court. They don't really look to establish the post too often. Um, they're not a good three point shooting team. They don't make free throws very well. You don't have a guy really outside of Mike Miles that can consistently break a defender down in a one-on-one situation and bail you out or hit a, a, a semi-contested or a contested shot. So that makes it really tough to score when teams know that's that's your weakness is forcing you to play out of the half court. So the, the biggest challenge is how do you create more offense in the half court? How do you scheme up an offense to maybe you get more cutting action to the basket. Maybe you go uh, f- run more four out or, or even five out to try and get more cutting action, more misdirection. I'm not qualified to, to really answer that question. That's on, uh, on Jamie Dixon and his coaching staff, but um, it's clear that some adjustments need to be made in the second half late in games, because like you said, the frogs are forced to slow down in those situations. And that's when the offense is at its worst. And you can't really play at high speed for all 40 minutes because you risk turnovers or other late game mistakes being made. You got to be able to close out a game by making free throws and running solid half court offense. And right now TCU can't do either of those things really well. Do you think that teams are defending particularly Eddie Lampkin down low in a way that's preventing TCU from running their offense in a way that includes Lampkin in a in a high usage rate or is TCU intentionally not using Lampkin in that way because I do think that Earlier in the season, maybe in in a lot of the non-conference portion of the season, um, offense ran through Lampkin to where he was flashing. Um, he was he was catching high post passes and 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 dishing assists mm-hmm. to to cutters or to the corner. And we haven't really seen that in in a, quite a while. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, the offense. first game of the year against uh, KSU, Eddie Lampkin was a monster down on the block. He was looking like Tolu Smith for Mississippi State against uh, against TCU a few weeks ago. So I, I don't think TCU does play through him, and I'm not sure if it's because he's guarded particularly well. You look at his shot attempts on a game-in and game-out basis, and he's typically not taking more than five or six shots. Um, I think he only had three shot attempts against Kansas. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong there, but... Um, it seems like TCU's role for him on the offensive end is basically to try and be a garbage man, you know, go after the offensive boards, try to get some putbacks if you can, but it doesn't really look like they, they try to feature him. They, they try to play through uh, Damian Baugh and Mike miles. If they can get some, some cutting action for someone like Micah Peavy or a three pointer for Jacoby Coles or Chuck O'Bannon, that's, you know, a secondary part of their offense, but I don't think they really look to to feature Lampkin, and maybe that's something that that should change. Perhaps it's uh, the injury, the the bad ankle. Maybe that's still bothering him. I know he's 
you know, he's only had a couple games back in the starting lineup since, since Mike Miles returned. So perhaps it's the ankle, perhaps it's a, a inability to score consistently out of the low post. Maybe there isn't enough confidence in, in him. I don't know, but it would definitely help, I think, for TCU in the half court to have a low post presence to go to, um, whether it's Lampkin or Emmanuel Miller, to be honest. I've seen Emmanuel Miller post up in games before and look really good doing it. He's six eight and that man is that man is strong. He's he's built like a like a power forward. So if you don't have any low post presence, it's really all on your guards to break a defender down, to hit a semi contested shot, to get to the basket. And that takes a lot of effort. It, it's it drain it drains you to have to be able to to do that over and over again. So, um, per, perhaps that's an adjustment that needs to be made. Find some some different ways to to post up your big guys and get them a little more involved, so that you can play off of them more late in games. Yeah. So just went back and looked at it. So lampkin has not had more than four shot attempts since that game against kansas yeah, state that's that's not good enough uh, that you mentioned that, where he went off enough. he was six for seven in that game and and i mean certainly he's been injured and so that so that's some of the period there but prior to that he had at least four shot attempts in every game but two and that's mm-hmm. two of the first three games of the season so, I mean, there through the meat of the non-conference early in the conference schedule, he was getting, uh, you know, six, seven, eight, nine shot attempts, um, which, of course, if, if that's Eddie Lampkin shot attempts, they're probably high percentage dunks or layups or, you know, uh, shots where they have a good chance of going in. So, um yeah, I think I think we've solved it right there. Just get the ball to Big Eddie and and let him make everybody else feel too small. I think that's what TCU basketball needs to do going forward, and and hopefully um, can do that starting Saturday in Lubbock against Texas Tech, a very difficult environment. Um, Texas Tech is on a heater right now. They're they're really looking up in in the Big Twelve standings possibility to make the tournament they were they were left for dead i mean a, a couple weeks ago they had they were like one in ten in the big 12 conference and they've they've won some games here so i they are a dangerous team they were certainly dangerous in the game against um against the horn frogs in fort worth way back was that <laughs> was that before the Peach Bowl? Yeah, I think that was the first conference game of the year, see, if I remember correctly. Was was that? See, we we've lived a whole lifetime since then. But um, you know, they they gave TCU an extremely difficult game. TCU had to come back and win in Schulmeyer, and so um, I expect TCU to to head to uh, to Lubbock and have a tough time there. And but it but it's a game again. TCU really needs to win these games you you really don't want to fall uh further back in in the conference standings we i i I still am pretty confident that that tcu is not near like a bubble fence or anything like that but um you don't want to tempt fate like that so going on the road and and winning a game like that 
where tech has has taken down some some big names in that building. So uh, a, a tough challenge. I think um, Devion Harmon has been playing kind of out of his mind over the last few weeks uh, for for the Red Raiders. Um, and they've, they've got, they've got a, a good set of, of players who can, who can come out and match up pretty strong with, uh, with the Horn Frogs. So I think it should be a good, interesting matchup on, on Saturday. Um, that I, I don't know, the, the Frogs may be an underdog in that game. I think it, it'll be, um, it's a, it's a tough one. How do you see it? Do you see it? What do you think? Um, you know, Any thoughts uh, on the tech game coming up? Revenge after losing that first one. And, and like you said, they're putting together a nice little rally here. And I think they were, they might've been nine and nine or, or 10 and 10 at one point in the season, uh, flirting with 500. And um, the SB nation tech account was not doing so hot on Twitter. A lot of, uh, a lot <laughs> of panic setting in at that time, but uh, tech's uh, playing yes. good ball right now. And it, it'll be a it'll be a really tough game, and and like you said, I think TCU over these last three regular season games needs to find a way to finish this regular season strong. Um, TCU basketball right now is kind of like the life is like a box of chocolates because you never know what you're going to get. You have a, an Oklahoma State 100 point offensive explosion where the frogs are getting a lot of high percentage shots and just looking like uh, a world beater. And then you follow that up against Kansas with uh, a high school basketball offensive caliber performance. So um, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult Two road games over these last three. And that one home game is, is ranked Texas. So um, opportunities are there though. If you look at it from a positive perspective, there are opportunities for, for TCU over these last three games and, going into the big 12 tournament to add some more feathers to that cap. But as you said, there are also opportunities to, to weaken the resume and to lose out. So uh, really looking to, to see TCU bounce back in this one. And I think this game will give us a, a better gauge with, with miles back now for his third game in a row uh, post injury, seeing how TCU comes out on Saturday, I think will give us a, a much better idea of, just the kind of team that we're going to be getting for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's Goldie Frogs and the three games here. We've got that they were shooting was too hot uh, against Oklahoma State. Shooting was too cold against Kansas. Maybe it'll be just right for uh, for Texas Tech. And uh, so, I, I guess with these these last three games, these are these are all quad one level games what is your projection? Do you think TCU not giving a win to each one or anything, but is what is the most likely outcome here is three and O two and one, one and two, Oh, and three. I'm going to go ahead and shake out for TCU basketball. Um, I feel like this season when I have laid out sort of my optimist versus realist versus pessimist predictions, it's typically typically gone toward the lower end of that spectrum. So I think TCU is, is more than capable of beating Oklahoma again. I think TCU can beat Texas Tech. Texas obviously will be tough. In, in an ideal scenario, TCU beats Texas and, and 
scores wins over Tech in, in Oklahoma. That's the optimist. I'm I'm sticking with two and one. I just I haven't seen the consistency from TCU on the offensive end with the turnovers and the missed free throws and the struggles in the half court to to have a lot of confidence right now to to say that they can get all three of those. So I I would say two and one. The the pessimist in me says either one and two or zero oh and three. But I would be with Mike Miles back. I would I would be frankly very very surprised and very disappointed if if that were the case. So I like two and one. I think TCU gets to the twenty win mark before the regular season ends, and uh, they pick up a couple more uh, poker chips there in the Big Twelve tournament to add to the stack going into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think that would make for for a fantastic season uh, in whatever two wins it would be, even even if it's dropping the Texas game at home. Um, TCU certainly capable of winning all three of those. I think uh, any two wins probably keeps TCU in in a six spot or better. Um, any three losses down this stretch, um, including the Big Twelve tournament. And you're looking at potentially flirting with the eight nine line, which is where certainly TCU was last season. But that's not where you want to be. It's it's not your you don't have a very good path to a, a Sweet Sixteen at that point. So um, certainly, I think TCU has to look for three more wins total, um, including the Big Twelve tournament, to feel in a better spot for a six or better. Um, you know, I've been writing in the, the bracketology about how earning a top four seed is is extremely critical to uh, making it further in the tournament. Um, really, from five through nine, basically have the same percentage of advancing through. Um, but those top four seeds are are much much more likely to advance through. So. Um, I don't know that TCU can can make its way up to that top four at this point. I think it would take uh, probably three wins here and maybe two wins in the uh, in the conference tournament to make that happen. So we'll see. I think there's it's an exciting finish to February, and as we flip the calendar to March next week, um, it's going to start. the The madness will begin, and and it's it's. My favorite time of the year. I, I love the March Madness, as uh, as you all know if you've been following my stuff at Frogs War. So I think that's all I have for basketball. Anything else on basketball? We talked. Uh, <laughs> we've gone quite quite a ways. No, on basketball all I'll say here. is I know we've got more uh, to, a lot to more to talk about. My money away once again this year as I uh, pour my hours and my research into filling out my bracket that ultimately gets uh, roasted within the first three or four hours of. Thursday afternoon games, so um, that'll be a exciting time. It's the best tradition, unlike any other. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, um, baseball season has begun. Frog ball is underway, and um, got off to an extremely strong start in the college baseball showdown. Um, I didn't get to watch a whole bunch of this or, or follow it a lot as I was traveling over the weekend. So Russ, can you kind of tell us how did this go and 
obviously yeah, so some early huge test, wins. And I did over a preview uh, series on this set of games earlier in the week, but TCU getting three SEC opponents, two of which are ranked in the top 25. So TCU came in at number 15 in the D1 baseball poll. Vanderbilt was the first opponent on Friday. The Commodores are ranked number 10. Arkansas was the big matchup on Saturday, number eight in the country. Really, really strong program over the last few years. And then Sunday closing it out against Missouri. Uh, A big challenge for sure, but kind of a home series for TCU in a way, playing in Arlington, Texas at Globe Life Field. And I know there are a lot of Frog fans there. Uh, One of my good buddies was there. And TCU came out on Friday and played really well from the start, beating Vanderbilt 11-4. to Ryan Vanderhey, the transfer from Kansas, he started the game and pitched really well through five innings. I believe he only gave up uh, two or three hits and a couple earned runs, had a really good start. Luke Savage pitched well in relief as well. And a couple of huge at-bats midway through the game. Vanderbilt actually led 3-2. to Frogs were threatening. They loaded the bases for Elijah Nunez, and he belted a three-run double into the outfield. And then Braden Taylor followed up with a bomb of a two-run homer. And just like that, it was 7-3. to three. And TCU just controlled the game from, from that point forward. So really pleased to see that from Nunez and Braden Taylor, who are both going to have huge roles with this offense, along with Austin Davis, the transfer from West Virginia. And Having those three guys at the top of the lineup with Davis leading off, Nunez second, and Taylor third, I firmly believe that's one of the best one, two, three uh, arrangements in a lineup in the entire country. Uh, Braden Taylor, preseason All-American. Austin Davis and Elijah Nunez are both speed demons. They're going to steal a lot of bases this year, so... Uh, really encouraged with the the overall performance from TCU against Vanderbilt and then putting on a show Saturday against Arkansas, winning 18-6. to Austin Davis hit his first home run as a, as a frog in this game, went three for six with three RBIs. Anthony Silva, the freshman, uh, preseason Big 12 freshman of the year, he had three RBIs in this game. Five different players. Uh, excluding those two guys, five different players had two RBIs. So everybody was getting in on the fun offensively. Cam Brown started this game for TCU and didn't really pitch very well. I think he only lasted an inning or so, but uh, shout out to Cole Klecker, the freshman, one of several freshmen who have pitched already for the Frogs this year. He threw just over four innings uh, of relief and I believe only gave up one run, pitched really well when the Frogs needed him to against a an elite baseball team in Arkansas. And then Ben Abeld, the left-handed freshman, came in through two innings of shutout relief. So uh, the freshman stepped up, and that's going to be, I think, a theme for TCU baseball this year is the the pitching is young but really talented. And these guys are going to have to pitch a lot this year because the Frogs have lost quite a few veteran guys over the last year or so. I can name several different guys, but the the freshmen are going to have to pitch a lot and they're going to have to pitch well and they did that against Arkansas 18 to 6 and then closing out the series on Sunday uh losing 9 to 8 against Missouri in 10 innings this was a game that unfortunately got away from the frogs TCU was leading 6 to 2 about halfway through the game and then Missouri just sort of slowly scratched and clawed its way back into the game and 
Uh, Garrett Wright came out toward the end and tried to close it out. He didn't look very good, unfortunately. I think he had three walks, a couple of wild pitches, gave up back-to-back RBI singles in two strike counts in the ninth inning, and the, the Tigers took the lead 8-6. to six. TCU's defense actually finished the game with five errors. It was changed to four after that, but uh, not a good defensive game by TCU. A shout-out to David Bishop, though, because he had a huge hit in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and two strikes, hit a two-RBI single through the left side of the infield, tied the game 8-8. to Game goes in the uh, top of the 10th. Missouri gets a runner on base and tries to steal third. Carson Bowen, the freshman catcher who got the start for Curtis Byrne, throwing error, runner comes home, Missouri leads 9-8, to and then it was curtains for, for TCU after that. But uh, offensively to score, was it 11 plus 18 plus 8 is, I think that's 38 runs. It might be 37. I hope my math is correct there. But regardless, a really, really solid performance from the offense one through nine you had some big hits from several different guys so uh that kind of set the stage for the midweek game yesterday against ut arlington tc winning that one seven to three the lupton opener margarita day in in uh in the u.s national margarita day lupton fans were celebrating there and uh more freshmen pitching really well in this game Braden sloan left-hander Started the game through just over three innings. Luis Rodriguez, who's a freshman with a lot of promise, struck out four guys in two and two-thirds. Cole Fontenelle hit his first home run as a frog, and he's a guy who I think has a chance to be that breakout performer for TCU this year. He's kind of an unknown um, in the sense that he started his career at Washington a couple years ago, uh, didn't play a whole lot, transferred to a JUCO raked at JUCO this past year and then transferred to TCU. And right now he's kind of the fourth outfielder slash designated hitter. I think he's earned that over Logan Maxwell, who I think was probably the other candidate for that role this year. But he had some big hits over the weekend, hitting a home run yesterday. TCU wins 7-3. to That'll be another key this year is – uh, not dropping some of those midweeks to the UT Arlingtons and the the Dallas Baptists and and some of those schools um, because I think these are going to be opportunities where yeah th- these are going to be opportunities again Christians, where the, the yeah. freshmen are going to be asked to pitch and they're going to have to to pitch well and you know again four games in we got a long way to go but the early returns are are, are pretty solid so. Excited to see what happens this weekend against Florida State. Florida State's 4-0 and to start the year, albeit they got three wins against uh, James Madison and one against Jacksonville. So have not played a quality opponent yet, but but TCU played, played at nobody. Florida State last yeah. year, lost twice, and had the third game canceled. So um, Frog's got to come out and, and be ready to play this weekend and – um, excited to see what they do. Also, a shout-out real quick to Sam Stoughtonborough, the transfer from California who started on Sunday against Missouri. He struck out seven guys in four innings and, and looked really good. Probably could have gone a little bit further in that game, too, if I'm honest. But um, maybe a learning experience for the young coach, Kirk Sarlus, in his second year. But, yeah, really, really happy all <laughs> around. I know I've been talking a little bit, but really happy with the way – uh, TCU baseball started the year so far. 
Yeah, certainly being able to come out of that. If you had told us that you you come away from that opening three games two and one, um, I think I think most frog fans would be pretty satisfied with that. I think the way that it shook out, where you get those two massive wins to open the weekend, you kind of feel like, well, we should have been three and zero. Oh. We should have been, and because Missouri is is not. Uh, considered to the level of, of Vanderbilt and Arkansas, but um, you know, baseball is a long season. You're not going to win every game. And, and um, I think getting those big wins, it just shows what this TCU team is capable of. And the, the offensive explosion, I mean, this, this team is going to put up some fireworks. I, I think it's, um, you know, exciting to see. I, I'm hoping to get out to a game. I hope the weather cooperates and isn't too uh, too frigid out here in Fort Worth. 40, 40 you know, degrees for Fort Worth where breeze. it's like 50 degrees, I'm sure, for you. That's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we, we might have to wear a sweatshirt. It's going to be tough. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to get out there to, to see the team this weekend. And, and I think it's going to be a great atmosphere um, all season out there at Lupton, just this team is, is really exciting and it's exciting to see the young arms throwing well, but, um, I'm, I'm most excited, I think for that Anthony Silva, Trey Richardson, uh, and, and Davis, th- those new guys coming in and providing that boost and filling those roles that, um, that were vacated and seeing them step in right away to to fill in and not only not miss a beat but I, I think really maybe even take a step forward from where this TCU offense was last season and where it, it leaves opposing pitchers no place to hide um you know uh, like you said one through nine down that lineup you're you're not getting a you don't get a pitch off so um I think a, a very exciting TCU baseball season ahead. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I didn't get to watch too much of it this, this past week or listen to it on the radio, but I'm, I'm excited to get into it this next week and, and going forward. All right. I don't know why we saved this for last. This should have been the first thing. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about tennis. The TCU men, men's tennis team is national championship again, back to back indoor ITA indoor men's team national champions um, winning sweeping through the tournament um, again this season uh, the the tournament finale was up there by you in Chicago hosted by the University of Illinois and uh, you had to win four games in the tournament they they only dropped two total points throughout the entire run-up of this tournament and that includes um, the regional ITA kickoff weekend that was here in Fort Worth a couple weeks ago, um, which is pretty incredible. Sweeping past uh, top 10, all of these are top 15 ranked squads, but uh, top 10, Baylor 4 nothing, Georgia I think was 13 at the time of the match, uh, 5-0. Number two, Kentucky was the only one that ended up giving the Horn Frogs a real fight at a, at a four to two contest. And then uh, the Texas Longhorns reached the title match against TCU and also got swept away four to zero uh, pure domination from the Horn Frogs in Chicago. And 
back-to-back years lifting that trophy for the TCU for men's tennis team. who haven't watched much, much tennis this year, much uh, TCU tennis over the last couple of years, the way that TCU has started off this season, 12-0, and not just indoor national champions for the second straight year, but prior to the tournament, TCU beat three ranked opponents in a row. They beat Baylor, Tennessee, and North Carolina. And I believe Tennessee and North Carolina were both road wins. Um, so to, to all three of them are road wins against top. Those are mm-hmm. all top 20. All three of those. Programs. And to follow that up with four consecutive wins over top 15 uh, programs and to repeat as, as national champions with some some veteran guys like Jake Fearnley and Luke Famba and Sander Jong, but you have some really, really, really good young players like Sebastian Gorsny and Jack Pennington who are studs. These are going to be really, really good players Elite. Um, over these next couple of years for TCU. So um, the Frogs getting some respect now being number one ranked in the country post indoor national championship in the, in the newest polls. TCU is now number one in the country uh, going into this next batch of matchups, which I believe will start the outdoor season. Um, five singles players are ranked in the, in the top 125. Jake Fearnley is 13th and he beat a player from Georgia, Ethan Quinn, who is ranked number four in, in the country. And he had some huge wins over the weekend, Jake Fearley did. So shout out to him. Oh, and he, he almost beat number one um, Spaziri from Texas, but they didn't end up finishing their match because Texas had already lost. But he, he was up a set and almost closed out and the second Jong set wasn't even um, before having to move on going to the into the set. tournament is now ranked number 41 in the country. He beat some ranked players over the weekend. Jack Pennington is not ranked. He's going to be so ranked good very soon. He beat ranked players. Gorsney beat ranked players. Uh, Famba is now number 32. Nationally, Jong is 41. Gorsney is 82. And Pedro Vivas is 119. So five singles players in the top 125. And you have two doubles teams now that I believe are in the top uh, 20. Sander Jong and Pedro Vivas, I think, are number five. And then Fearnley and Famba are ranked in the top 25 as well. And they, they rank the top 60 for doubles. So this team is stacked right now. They are they are 12-0 and 0 and have, like you said, only had Kentucky, who was the number two team in the country, and uh, one other opponent. I think it was either Tennessee or Carolina, where it was a 4-3 match. Th- those are the only two teams that have given yeah, TCU Carolina. any sort of a challenge this year. So it's going to be really exciting to watch TCU go into the outdoor season. I think this team is good enough to win a national championship. I I think you have the experience and the young talent across the board. TCU, I don't know I don't know if TCU has dropped a doubles point in, in any match this year. No, they they took they took all four doubles points. Over they have the not weekend. not this season. No, nope. it, it's such a huge advantage when you when you take that first doubles point and w- when you think about it, when you're winning all these matches, you know four zero four one five zero players that don't have to finish their matches. I mean, you, you get a little bit of a of a breather in that respect. Maybe you're playing a, a really really tough player and 
you know, you don't have to finish the match. You can get a little bit of a breather because you, you get the doubles point. So you're already up one zero and it gives you a huge advantage. So love watching TC uh, men's tennis. David Roditi, the head coach is an awesome dude. Um, if you haven't viewed a Roditi report on Twitter, please check it out. He's a great guy. The program is awesome. So looking forward to seeing more awesome things from TCU tennis coming up into the, into the spring part of the season here. Yeah, I did like his, his report after the team took down Georgia and, and how he, you know, said that was for all the fans. We got the, the revenge. Fans were really looking forward yes. to beating Georgia and, and, uh, getting Maybe some revenge, revenge, getting some revenge, revenge back revenge against the Bulldogs. It. So that's that's right. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So TCU men's tennis next has uh, a match on Tuesday against UT Arlington in Fort Worth, and then next Saturday, uh, March fourth, is Texas number two. Now Texas comes to town to Fort Worth to the Purple Courts outdoor. Um, everybody needs to be out at that match. It's gonna be it's gonna be quite a show. The two top teams in the country facing off, um, and it's it'll be an exciting atmosphere. So make sure if you're in town to make your way out to the Purple Courts on Saturday, March fourth, for men's tennis versus Texas. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on before we closed. TCU women's basketball finally won a a conference game, so I wanted to give them a shout out. I know it's been a it's been a really tough season, and, and they've been um, they've been putting in the work, and they were able to to take down Kansas State um, last week, or I guess on Saturday. So that was that was big. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they gave a pretty good push to Baylor um, in this most recent game, and and uh, ended up losing, but. Um, I don't know what's ahead for for that program and and for everything going forward. I think you know, hopefully, better days ahead. But good to see them get that to, zero uh, off the win column, getting a win over Texas A and M. Equestrian, I believe, is ranked number three in the country right now. Uh, TC Rifle has again uh, ho hum seventeenth year in a row qualified for for the NCAA. Uh, national championship and opportunity there to, to bring home another national title. Uh, some record setting individual performances from, from TCU's rifle shooters this year. So a uh, shout out to the rifle squad, uh, equestrian and, and TC women's tennis had a really good start to the year as well. Six and oh, to start the year before losing against LSU. So uh, beach volleyball coming in, Top three beach volleyball is going to be coming around. Um, I was going to say beach volleyball is coming up soon. Beach volleyball action at the rec. Um, so many good things going on for, for TCU athletics right now. The, the post 2022 football uh, depression is over. We are in 2023 and there are so many good things that are happening in, in Fort Worth. So really exciting stuff. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's uh, where we'll end it here tonight. Uh, appreciate everyone listening. Uh, thanks, Russ, for joining me here tonight. And, um, you know, follow everything we're doing at Frogs of War. Follow us on Twitter at Frogs of War, uh, Facebook, YouTube, all of that. Um, we appreciate all of you reading our, our content, listening to us, and 
all the engagement, um, you know, reach out to us. We're, we're happy to, to chat frogs or big 12 or anything else that's going on anytime. So, Go frogs. um, with that, we'll sign off. Thanks. Go frogs.